Welcome to Thrive Church. We are happy to have you here with us today. My name is Judah, and I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive, so we welcome you all. If you're with us in person at one of our campuses, Torrington, New Britain, Terryville, or online, we're so glad to have you here. And we are continuing our series called I Doubt It. I Doubt It. And throughout this, ex- this series, we're going to be exploring doubt and, and why it comes and what to do when doubt comes our way. And last week, we talked about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the one who came and he, he w- prepared the way for the Messiah. He prepared the way for Jesus to come. And he was there. He baptized Jesus. He saw the heavens open up, uh, a dove descend. As the Holy Spirit, as a dove descend on him, he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And then later on, when John was arrested and in prison, he himself began to have doubts whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. Today, uh, we're going to be continuing learning about doubt. You know, we learned last week that, that doubt can sometimes be beneficial. Doubt can maybe inspire us to dig for answers, as it did with John. He started to dig for answers. It can sometimes be an opportunity to grow our faith and learn more about God. But today we're going to be adding in another factor, and that is fear. And in your notes, if you're taking them, doubt and fear go hand in hand. Doubt and fear go hand in hand. Often, they're, they're, they're very well connected. When I'm doubting, it's because I'm being fearful. And when I'm being fearful, I allow doubt into my life. So how should we handle doubt when we're afraid? So last week we talked about John the Baptist. This week we're going to be talking about his dad. His dad was Zechariah and some of the doubts that he faced in his own life as well. And the passage we're going to be beginning with is from the Gospel of Luke. And this is chapter 1, verse 5. Now if you don't know anything about Luke, Luke uh, wrote these, this book here not as an eyewitness, but as an investigative reporter. He studied, he went, he interviewed people, he talked to the disciples, he talked to many people, and then he compiled this, letter, this book that we have, Luke. So he wasn't a firsthand, in fact, he was not even a Jew. He compiled this from observation and from talking to people. And so here we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, It says, when Herod was king of Judea, and this is the great thing about Luke, is he really assembles his timelines because he's looking at it from a very uh, methodical standpoint. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So he's providing all of this detail, which certainly lends credibility to what he's saying. So we have Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father, and he, we see here, was a priest. Now, when we hear that someone was a priest, we think it's a, an esteemed position, and it was, but we need to keep in mind that in Israel at this time, there was approximately 18,000 priests. Okay, so there was a lot of them, and they were divided into 24 different divisions. Here it says that Zechariah was in the priestly order of Abijah. There was 23 others, and they would rotate 
working in the temple. They would basically, each of these orders would serve in the temple for two weeks every year. And when they would go there, uh, whichever order it was from, they would basically have a lottery system where they would say, okay, if you're, if you're in the order of Abijah, they would pull names and they would send 350 priests to go and serve in the temple. 50 priests every day would serve in the temple. So it was this lottery system and that, that they would send all these priests. So here, Zechariah, although he was a priest, it wasn't something that he did on a regular basis. This was a kind of a rare opportunity, and here he is in the temple. Now, continuing on, verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations, and yet they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So, you know, they didn't have any kids, and here that, that were very old means they were probably, and they're uh, over 60, maybe in their later 60s, and, and they were unable to have children at this point. Verse 8, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. And again, if you recall, 350 would go to serve in any given week. And so he's there, he's serving. It says, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. So a couple things that we've learned here is first that they're childless. Now back in those days, not having children was a big deal. This meant that no one could carry on the family name. This was often looked at as, as, a, as a source of embar uh, embarrassment, and, and many people thought it was God's judgment. Perhaps it was a curse on them that they were unable to have children. It probably weighed very heavily on Zechariah and on his wife, but after all of these years, most likely they had kind of grown accustomed to the stares and the looks and the, the condemnation from other people. But here, now he's serving in the temple as a priest, and it says that he's chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn the incense. So number one, he kind of won the lottery to go there and to serve in the temple, and then they would have yet another lottery system that would determine which priest would go and would light the incense uh, that day in the temple. It was usually done in the morning and evening. It had been two different people. Most likely this was the evening one, and he was selected. This was a great honor for any priest. Perhaps in his mind he's thinking maybe this can make up for the disgrace of, of being barren, of not having any children. Maybe God is not mad at us after all. See, in your notes, God is faithful even when he doesn't do what we want him to. There's many times in our life that we want God to show up in a certain way. We want God to do certain things in our life. And God doesn't always do what we want him to do. But God is still faithful even when things don't happen and don't turn out the way that we think. So here, here Zechariah was selected to go and burn the incense. This was the highest honor that a priest of his caliber could ever have. See, lighting the incense was symbolic of all of the prayers of Israel going up to God. A priest could only do this once in their entire lifetime. 
if they got selected, they were never eligible to do it again. So this was his one opportunity to go in there and to light the incense before God and burn this incense. And it was high pressure, but what an honor it was for Zechariah to go in there and to do these priestly duties of lighting the incense. Continuing on here, Luke 1, verse 10. It says, when the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. They would stand outside. And again, this was representative of their prayers going up to God. So Zechariah, he goes, he has an assistant that takes him part way. And then Zechariah makes the remaining. He goes into the temple, into the, a place where most people never even saw. He goes in there. He lights the incense on fire, symbolic of their prayers going up to heaven. And a great crowd is standing outside, waiting with expectation of what is going to happen. When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. He was terrified. He went in there and he see, like, I can only imagine the shock on Zechariah's face when, when he's in there, no one else is in there, and then this angel is there. And, and why is it that the angels, they're, they're always evoking this fear in people and the first thing out of their mouth is like don't be afraid don't be afraid well if you've ever read biblical descriptions of what angels are like and i've talked about this before but like like some of the the things are kind of creepy like a lot of them says they're covered with eyeballs their entire body covered with eyeballs some of them have four heads six wings they have these wheels that are spinning all around flaming swords this is not some cute little naked baby shooting arrows of love into your heart okay and so they see this, and they're like, what in the world is this? And they're like, do not be afraid. It's like, don't tell me what to do, okay? So here they are. Here he is. He sees it. He lets fear control him. He's shaking in his sandals. He's in there, and he reacts in fear rather than in faith. Do we ever do that in our own life? Do we ever face something and, and react in fear rather than in faith? In your notes, we can respond to problems with fear or with faith. It's a choice. How are we going to respond to the, to the problems, to the difficulties, to the issues that we face in life? How do we respond to these things? Do we respond in fear or do we respond with faith? How do we respond when God is directing our life? If he inspires us to give generously, do we respond with fear? No, you know what? I just don't have enough to give. Or do we respond with faith? When he inspires us to serve, to give of our time and getting involved serving, we say, well, you know what? If only I had more time, I would do this, but, but, but I just can't right now. When God inspires us to forgive, do we respond with fear or do we respond with faith? Do we have faith when God inspires us to do something or are we afraid? It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Did you know that? That when we experience fear in our life, that is not from God. It says it's a spirit here, and he doesn't give us that spirit. He doesn't give us the spirit of fear. When we're experiencing fear, that is not from God. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what has he given us? Of power, love, and of a sound mind. See, that's the, the spirit that God wants us to operate in, power and love and a sound mind. See, because fear will always bring doubt. Fear always brings doubt. Fear and doubt, they go hand in hand. 
And when we start to doubt things, we start to fear, we, we start playing the, the, the what if game. Well, what if this doesn't happen? And what if God lets me down? And, and what if I was just hallucinating when I thought I saw this angel? And what if this and what if that? See, in your notes, God wants us to have a sound mind, a sound mind. He wants us to be able to, to think clearly about things. He doesn't want us to be ruled and governed by fear and by doubt. Are we living in fear in our life? Living in fear for what tomorrow may hold? Are we living in fear about sickness, maybe what sickness will come or the diagnosis we've already received? Are we living in fear about how we're gonna make ends meet and pay the bills? Is fear bringing doubt into your life? Because oftentimes when we start to have fear, along with that comes doubt. We have the fear of the future and then we begin to doubt God's power in the situation because we're afraid. We're afraid that God won't come through. We're afraid that perhaps God will abandon us. So here's Zechariah. Zechariah is in there. He's offering this, this incense. They, they had coached him through it. They told him exactly what to do and what to expect. But what they did not tell him was that there would be an angel in there waiting for him. And the angel speaks to him. And the angel tells him that he will have a son and that he will uh, name his son John and that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth and he will turn people, the Israelites, he'll turn the Jews back to God and he'll be very much like Elijah. He'll operate in the spirit of Elijah and he'll prepare the way for the Messiah, for the Savior of the world. And the angel is telling all this to poor Zechariah and he just doesn't know what to do with himself. It's an extraordinary message. What's also extraordinary is this. As best as we can tell, God had not spoken to people in 400 years. He hadn't spoken. The, the last thing that we see God speaking is in the Old Testament in the last verses of Malachi. And in the last verses of Malachi, we see a prophecy. And the prophecy says that someone will come like Elijah and will turn the hearts of the children back to the father and the father to the children and will prepare the way for the Messiah. And now the angel comes and echoes those same words to Zechariah 400 years later. He's saying, congratulations, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son, and it's not an ordinary son. For many of us, we think that would be something that would give us great faith. But, well, Zechariah, he was afraid. In verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, how, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. You know, she ain't no spring chicken anymore, you know? I think the ship has sailed on this one, Mr. Angel. You know, I know you mean well, but have you looked at us? We're not going to be having kids anytime. So it kind of reminds me of Abraham and Sarah back in the day as well, when the angel of the Lord also told them they would have a child, and Sarah laughed at the angel here, he's saying, I don't know, I'm old, my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. Like, like, this is not just a friendly conversation anymore. Like, this angel is getting ticked off. He's like, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And it is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak 
until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. See, he doubted the words of God. Have you ever doubted something before? Have you ever doubted that you could accomplish something? This past week, uh, uh, me and a, a group of guys, we went to hike Mount Washington, and, and inevitably through that hike, there were several people who, who began to doubt their ability to make it to the top of this mountain. You see something, you get overwhelmed, and we start to say, I, I don't know if I can do this. I doubt it. I doubt that it's actually going to happen. Here we see Zechariah in that same situation. He's like, I don't know. I hear what you're saying but I doubt that it's actually going to happen. And he starts making excuses. He's making excuses. He's saying, well, you know what? That sounds all well and good, but we're just, we're just too old. Do we ever make excuses when God inspires us or shows us to do something? He inspires us to give. Well, I just, I just, can't, I just can't afford to. Oh, I just don't have the time to, to, to serve. You see, what Zechariah did is he chose to look at the natural rather than looking at the supernatural. See, he chose to, to look at the fact that, that, that he was old and his wife was old and they were barren and it was so unlikely and they're looking at the natural circumstance rather than the supernatural circumstance. In your notes, he, he chose to allow doubt to enter his mind. Unbelief is a choice. Unbelief is a choice. See, he chose to, to not to believe and he allows this doubt to come into his mind and say, you know what, I'm afraid and I doubt this is gonna happen and I just really don't believe this and the angel was not happy, right? It's like, like I don't know, I think if there's one thing you probably don't wanna do is you probably don't wanna tick off the angel that's like right there scaring you. Like you might not wanna do that, but that's what Zechariah's like, I don't think it's gonna happen. And the angel's like, oh yeah, how about this? You're not gonna talk until this baby is born. Zechariah doubted. It's like, wait, wait, are you sure, Mr. Angel? My wife and I are way past our child bearing years. Like, we can't blame him, right? We can't blame him. Like, he lived his whole life already with no kids. I mean, it was a pretty crazy thing for the angel to say. But let's jump to verse 24. Soon afterwards, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. What a beautiful thing. You know, now she's having a child. How kind the Lord is. How kind that God gives her a son. How kind that God sends this messenger to prepare the way of the Messiah. How kind that God put it in a situation that her husband couldn't talk for nine months. She's like, I finally get some peace and quiet around the house, you know? It's like, wow, not only am I pregnant, but he can't say a thing. It's like, man, this is a great situation for her. Zechariah, on the other hand, I don't know. But Zechariah, you know what he's got? He's got a reminder from God each and every day, right? Because each day when he gets up and he gets ready to say, good morning, and nothing comes out, he's reminded of the angel. Hey, you remember this? Kind of reminds me of, of, of uh you know, Jacob, back in the Old Testament, when Jacob spent a night wrestling with an angel, and at the very end, the angel touched his hip, and, and it said he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, and I guarantee you, every time he walked with that limp, he remembered coming face to face with that angel. Here's Zechariah, he's remembering, he's remembering, he's got this reminder of God every time he goes to open his mouth. And see, there's things in our life that can remind us of God as well. In your notes, our irritations can remind us of God's presence. 
You ever think about that? The things that irritate us, the things that are painful, the things that annoy us, the things that we're going through in our life, those very things can sometimes be a reminder of God's presence. It can be a reminder of God's blessing. It can be a reminder of God's promise. Maybe we have not received it yet, but it's a reminder that God is working in the situation. Zechariah, his name means God who remembers. The God who remembers. And I think that's interesting because God did remember. After 400 years, God is now speaking again, and he remembered his people. He remembered that he was going to send a Messiah. God also remembered Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and how they'd been barren for so many years. He remembered them. God who remembers. And yes, Zechariah had fear. And yes, Zechariah had doubt. But God's plan didn't stop because of Zechariah's doubt. You know, Zechariah had doubt, and God didn't say, okay, well, I'm just not going to do it then. If you're not going to believe me, then I'm not going to do it. He says, no, you're not going to talk for nine months, but I'm still going to do it anyway. You don't have to believe me because I'm going to do this anyway. And Zechariah learned to trust God in the situation. See, this is, this is good news for people like me because sometimes I have doubts. And sometimes I have fears in my life. And God can use people who have doubt and God can use people who have fear to still accomplish great things. See, God can use people like you and me to accomplish his great work here on this earth. So, many of you have heard the story before. You know, Mary, she gets pregnant as well, Jesus, and they go visit. And, and then now, John is born. John the Baptist is born. And it says here in, uh, in verse 59, it says, when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. And they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. That was a tradition then, that you would name your child after the dad or after the grandfather. You'd name him something like that in the family line. So, so everybody would know what family you're a part of. They wanted to name him Zechariah. Everybody said, okay, we're going to name him Zechariah. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. And everybody's like, what? Like that, that doesn't make sense. There's no one in your family by that name. You can't use the name John. That belongs to somebody else. Like you can't use it. You gotta pick a name that's in your family. And they say, no, 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 we're, I'm gonna name him John. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. I think this is where charades was invented, right? It's like, sounds like, uh, name, uh, name, I don't know, I don't know, game. Like, and they're like, John's like, what? I don't understand. Finally, they're like, what are you going to name your kid? John grabs a tablet, he says here. Motions for writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. Underline that last little phrase there. And he began praising God. See, Zechariah's doubt turned to faith when he named him John. It kind of had to come full circle. Now he's like, I, I, I'm giving in. I, I believe that what God said is true. And immediately he's able to talk. And the first thing out of his mouth is what? Giving praise to God. Giving praise to God. It's kind of like this story I heard of this person. And he, he joined a, a, uh, an order of silent monks, right? 
And so they would go and they live on this mountaintop and they would never speak any words. They would spend their time in, in reading and spend their time in solitude, but they were never allowed to speak any words except once a year when the head monk would bring in each monk and the monks would come in and he would allow them to speak only two words. And one monk, it was his first year there, and he comes in and, and, and the head monk says, okay, what would you like your two words to be? You've had a year, a year to think about this. What do you want your two words to be? He says, bed hard. Monk's like, okay, well, we'll see what we can do about that. Another year passes. And it's again his time to come in and talk to the head monk. And he comes in, and the head monk says, okay, you, you had two years now. You have two words, and you've had two years to think about it. What, what do you want your next two words to be? He says, food cold. And the head monk's like, okay, okay, well, we'll see what we can do about your food situation. Another year passes. Now this monk has been there for three years. Finally, he comes in. The head monk's like, okay, it's your turn. You get two words. You've had an entire year to think and plan and prepare for what your two words are going to be. What are your two words? He says, I quit. And the head monk says, good. All you've done is complain since you got here. So <laughs> anyhow, what's the first words out of our mouth? If we couldn't speak, what would be the first words out of our mouth? Well, Zechariah, the first words out of his mouth was praising God. See, in your notes, we can turn our doubts into praise. Do we allow our doubts and our fears and our worries and our anxieties, do, do we allow uh, ourselves to turn them into praise? Do we praise God even in the difficult times? Here's John, he's just, or Zechariah, sorry, he's, he's turning it around to praise. In the moment that he overcame his doubt, his fear went away and his tongue was loosed and he was able to speak. See, when John was born, Zechariah's doubt was turned into praise and his fear was turned into confidence. See, that moment was when he trusted in God's plan and then he couldn't help but rejoice and prophesy about his son's destiny. In fact, if you read the, the, the last section of this, this chapter in Luke, the whole last session, section is Zechariah prophesying. And we often just blow right by it. He's prophesying of the coming Messiah and how a Messiah will come and how he'll save people from their sins and how he'll set the captives free. And then he prophesies about his own son, John, and how John will go out there and he'll prepare the way. See, one person who was filled with fear and doubt is now full of praise and is now prophesying about what is to come. See, doubt and fear are natural, but we don't have to let them define us. And all too often, we allow our fears to define who we are. Maybe we can just skip to the praise part. Let's skip to the praise part, past the fears, past the doubts. You know, I don't know everything, but here's one thing I know is that God is good. That even in the situations that seem dark, even in the situations that seem dismal, even in times of despair, God is good and we can praise him. We can combat doubt, we can combat fear and worry with praise and with worship him. As we do that, the doubt begins to lessen, the fears begin to subside. So let's take God at his word. Let's believe his promises, promises 
that Jesus died and rose again. Promise that he will forgive us all of our sins. Promises that if we call on his name, we'll be saved. Promises that he'll never leave us and never forsake us. So do we take him at his word or do we doubt him and suffer the consequences? Let us, instead of running to doubt and fear, let us turn that into praise and adoration and giving thanks to God who has done so many amazing things for us in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, we, we're sorry for the times that we've doubted you. We're sorry for the times that We've lived our lives bound by fear instead of by trust and confidence in you and your word. So please, turn that around in our lives now. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord, here's a promise for you. God's word says, if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, that you'll be saved, won't you call on his name now? Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm not going to doubt you anymore. I'm choosing belief. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you're good. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your love is never ending. And even in our difficulties, you're still at work, and we can choose to praise you. So we choose now. We choose to praise you because you are good. We choose to praise you because you've forgiven us. We choose to praise you because you've brought healing and restoration and freedom from all that holds us in bondage. We choose to praise you, Lord, because you are good. Your mercy endures forever, and you are good for your promises. We thank you for all that Jesus has done for us, for giving us a new life, a new heart, for wiping our sins away. We thank you, we praise you, and we choose to rejoice, even in the difficulties, even in the trouble, even in the fears, the doubts, and the anxieties. We choose to praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.